Hello, and welcome to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I'm your host, Siri Vincent Clough, and I'm so glad you're here. This is the show where I explore heathenry through a queer lens. We will be talking about traditional witchcraft, runes, folklore, and so much more. Join us, won't you, as we journey to the ends of the Nine Realms and back. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I had fully intended on releasing a solo episode in between interview episodes, but you know how life is completely unpredictable. This autumn has been a really intense time for me as things ramp up at the apothecary, I'm wrapping up the witchcraft immersion, and so many other good things. So instead of a solo episode, I'm excited to share this interview with Awen Dawn. But before we get into that, I have some very important announcements to make. The first, I wrote a book. Well, I co-authored a book with my best witch, Cassandra Snow. They were on the podcast a while back talking about their 2020 release, Queering Your Craft. This book is called Lessons from the Empress, a tarot guide for self-care and creative growth. In this volume, we dive deep into how to utilize the tarot for creativity. As two queer people, our creativity has helped us to embrace our fullest selves. Once we understand who we are and are able to express our identities, self-care takes on new meaning and depth. We centered the book around the Empress, who is our guide to self-care, indulgence, abundance, and creativity. We go through our favorite creative principles, teach you about using tarot for creativity, and share rituals and spells for creativity and self-care. I am so proud of this book, and I hope you will love it. There's no pre-order available yet, but I will let you know as soon as there is one. The book will be coming out in October of 2022. And on the note of creativity, I am also going to take this time to give a quick shout out to the workshop that I'm teaching on Sunday, December 5th. I'm co-teaching with the brilliant Erin Elise Borzak of the Hollow Valley and the talented Davis Carr of Meridian Tarot. This is a three-hour workshop diving deep into your own book of spells. The workshop is called Creative Grimoiring. Your magical record is one of the most vital aspects of magical learning. Through keeping a magical record, you're able to see what worked, track your progress, and learn how to live in the rhythm with the world around you. In my own grimoire, I track my lunar intentions and manifestations. I write down my spells and check back to see how well they worked. I write notes for my research. I write letters to spirits, to ancestors, and I make art around some of my favorite poetry. There's so much magic in my grimoire, and whenever I leaf through my old grimoires, I find inspiration and sharp insight into who I was at the time. I feel a kinship with these magical journals, almost an allyship. My grimoires are my most secret conspirators. The workshop is a three-hour session packed with with information and plenty of time to create art in your grimoire. It's $60, and you can also add on one of my grimoire kits if you would like for 10% off the kit. I've put the link in the podcast description. One last announcement. I am open for year ahead readings, which are so much fun and honestly a highlight of my year as a tarot reader and rune reader. 
These go fast, and I'm only booking them through January 15th, so if you would like one, please book ASAP. Okay, I think that's all the announcements I've got for my own work. Let's dig into this episode itself, because it is juicy. I am so, so excited to be sharing this interview with Awen Dawn, author of Paganism for Prisoners. If you have listened to the podcast for a while, you know that restorative justice and prison abolition are two very important causes of my own. In episode 19, all about the primstav and unsettling ourselves, I spoke with Sarah Axtell about some of the work that she and others in the Minnesota heathen community are doing for prison inreach. This interview with Awen Dawn goes even more in-depth about the necessity of this work. Awen Dawn is a pagan high priestess from Colorado who has been working with spiritual seekers for nearly 10 years. After being incarcerated and overcoming her own life challenges, Awen dedicated herself to the pagan path and now teaches others in the Colorado prison system. Awen is Reiki 2 attuned and has a Bachelor's of Science in Integrative Healthcare from MSU Denver. She is a member of the Society of Authors and the International Women's Writing Guild. While being incarcerated for her struggles with drug addiction, Awen Dawn began actively to look for her spiritual side, and she found it in paganism. By developing a profound relationship with the gods, Awen gained greater clarity and a deep sense of peace. You can too, with help from this empowering guide to starting and strengthening your spiritual practice. Her new book, Paganism for Prisoners, is an important work that helps to make paganism more accessible to incarcerated pagans. Providing dozens of easy-to-use exercises, Paganism for Prisoners shows you how to embrace pagan teachings and learn from deities, ancestors, and spirits. Explore the power of meditation, self-reflection, rituals, and devotions. Meet the gods and goddesses of Celtic, Norse, Greek, Roman, and other mythologies. You'll also discover the power of the elements, the moon, the wheel of the year, and your own intuition. This is a helpful guide not only for incarcerated pagans, but for leaders in the pagan community who are interested in understanding and working with members of this vulnerable community. You never know when you may meet someone who is a former prisoner, and it's so important for spiritual leaders to understand how to engage in community work with compassion for those who have experienced incarceration. The book comes out, let me just double check, um, in December 2021, and you can pre-order it now at Llewellyn or um, I think bookshop.org also has it, and of course Amazon. Um, although we try not to give Amazon our money, speaking for myself. Um, and Awen speaks much more clearly and directly from personal experience on this issue. So let's get straight into it. Hello, Awen. Welcome to the Heathen's Journey podcast. How are you doing today? I am great. I am so um, happy and honored to be on your show today. Hell yeah. So um, before we really get into, you know, the book, um, I just want to talk a little bit about like what inspired you to write this book. I think that it's very important and I'm curious to hear some of the story behind the book. Well, so paganism for prisoners actually evolved over several years. Um, the first part being my, my own incarceration. 
And it was books on magic, um, many from Llewellyn, some from other places that really helped feed my spirit while I was there. And then um, after I got out, I started doing a volunteer program where uh, <laughs> I love to call it, I teach witchcraft to inmates. Like, um, and, and I would go in and I would give them basically a simplified year in a day because they didn't need to know about like, you know, the athame that they couldn't have, you know, like, so they would just get a real brief introduction to that. Um, and then like, I saw all their, their faces lighting up, like you could see the light bulb going off and, um, I was like, I really need to reach more people. And that became the inspiration for my book. So um, is this book uh, just for inmates? What advantages does it have for those who have never been incarcerated? Well, that's actually a really good question because the incarcerated population is, of course, my, my primary target audience. But I also had secondary audiences in mind. Um, I think there needs to be more people willing to go into prison and teach um, Kagan-related programs in prisons and there's a lot of people who might be like, I don't even know where to start. I you know, don't know what to teach them. What can I teach them? What would be useful? So um, I, that was my secondary thought behind this book. And I mean, it does have usefulness for everybody because it deals a lot of shadow work and introspection. You know, um, I love the pageantry. Right. Like I love putting on my robes and having my athame and lighting the candles. And, you know, I love that. But it's not necessary to do magic. It's, you know, every tool that we need is within. So anybody who is looking for how to deepen their connection with the gods and goddesses, um, just them and the goddess. Like if you're standing naked in a field, you have every tool you could ever need. Yeah. Absolutely. I actually really love how your book starts with uh, lesson one is the power of words and the power of silence. Yes. And I really love that because in my own personal practice, um, the tools are kind of secondary. They're helpful, mm -hmm. um, but words are essential. Starting the book with silence is such a good place, um, particularly for those who are um, incarcerated. I, I definitely agree. And I, I think that's one of the hardest things for people, not just the incarcerated population, but people in general, like we like to be entertained. We like to have, you know, our phones and a movie going and music and there's this noise over here and this noise over here. But if you can get to that point of silence, even on a crowded subway, you can hear the messages the universe is trying to send you. Whereas if you're constantly distracted, you're, you're not going to hear those messages as clearly. So I, I think it's really important that that, like if, if people only master one thing in the book, I, I think that should be it. The power to have that stillness within yourself. And, and it's uncomfortable, especially for the incarcerated population. Like, um, as somebody who's been there, like there's a lot of stuff we don't want to sit with. You know, there's a lot of muck in our past that's just really uncomfortable, but learning to sit with that and learning to be okay and to accept that. Like, it, it's a skill that takes time, but it's so important. It's so vital for any sort of deep introspective work. Absolutely. 
Um, so that actually is a really good segue into my next question, which is what are some of the biggest barriers for incarcerated pagans? There's a lot. Um, it's going to kind of depend by area. Uh, where I was incarcerated, that the prisons tend to have a more open-minded view, right? So as long as there were two of us, we were able to meet. And um, they let us hold full moons um, uh, instead of Sabbaths. Um, but th that's one limitation. We weren't allowed to hold books. Mm -hmm. um, in, in other parts of the country, books on paganism are just thrown away. They never even make it in, um, you know, and I hate to say this, but a lot of times it's clergy or it's staff that see the book and they just throw it away. And that's a violation of the prisoner's um, rights. You know, we have a right to freedom of religion and the guidelines for religion is basically anything, you know, a anything like one person can be like, okay, this is my religion and it's honored as that. But so people who are incarcerated, not only do they not have access to tools or, you know, chaplains to come in or, you know, Sabbath days or books, you know, they're um, a lot of, a lot of them don't even feel comfortable being out of the broom closet, so to speak. Um, a lot of them feel threatened, like their lives are in danger. And, you know, we change what we can, right? And bringing in education, bringing in awareness. I know when I was incarcerated, my grandmother died. And there were two pagan chaplains um, who came in and were able to tell me and comfort me. And I can't imagine what it would be like to not have that to, you know, have somebody come in and tell you something like, oh, well, you'll never see them again because you're not going to go to heaven or, you know, something like that, you know, can be really traumatizing. And I know people are told things like that because I've gotten letters from inmates that say that they're being told things like that or that books that their family members have ordered never made it inside and things like this. And so those are some of the biggest barriers I think inmates have. Yeah, absolutely. Just the access to information and resources is a huge barrier in and of itself. Yeah. Um, and uh, that also, I think, brings up kind of an interesting point. I know that a lot of listeners of the podcast um, are solitary practitioners, so they may have never had um, an experience of working with a priest or priestess or a, high, or a, a chaplain or anything um, to help guide them through, you know, a, a spiritual, um, uh, like, I'm sorry, my brain is a little fried today. It's like That's okay. a spiritual moment, but I don't <laughs> mean that. I mean like a, like a crisis, like a spiritual crisis. Um, and so I think that it's really interesting that in, you know, this population, if you are uh, just learning about paganism while you are incarcerated, that is almost like one of the most important resources to you is to have that, um, you know, touch point. Um, so can you just speak to that a little bit? I know that you've worked with several different um, teachers and leaders and that you also are a teacher yourself. Um, so can you just talk a little bit to the um, process of, you know, kind of guiding and working with people, um, through those spiritual journeys and like how people might even um, find someone like you? Well, okay. So there, there's multiple parts to this question. So I'll, I'll start with the 
approaching somebody who's going through a spiritual crisis. Um, one of the hardest chapters in my book to write was actually the chapter on death, mm-hmm. right? Because I wanted to be really encompassing and include a lot of things because as, as we know, paganism is this really broad umbrella term for a whole bunch of these other faiths. But in the DOC system, you're Northwest European pagan. That's what you are. And right. so, um, because of the experience I had with my grandmother um, passing, I put some different views of the afterlife in there. And this way people can kind of look at what brings them comfort and what do they feel resonates with their truest self. And um, so I, I wanted there to be this really uncomfortable chapter because nobody speaks about death. Right. We're scared of death in in this society. We're like, oh, no, death. And death is as natural as birth. And that's one thing that I wanted people to understand is that it's okay to be sad. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to mourn. But it is natural. Yeah. You know, it's the one thing every human being on the planet has in common is, is birth and death. Like they unite us in this very primal way. And so as far as getting in touch with with someone like me, um, I did my best to provide a list of resources in the back of my book for for pagan organizations and also for organizations like the ACLU. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like I see some point in the future, you know, me maybe building a training program so that we can get more people um, like certified, for lack of a better word, just like this cohesive training so that everybody's kind of on the same page, you know, because like there are a lot of solitary practitioners and then there are people who have come up from a coven. And so like, we're going to have different areas of strengths, but I think if we can get a cohesive focus on the, the shadow work and the introspection and these kind of things that prison is a really ideal place for working on, um, then I think they'll be more accessible. In the meantime, there are places that um, have pagan chaplains. There are places that have chaplains who are just kind of like open to to all faith systems. And for now, that's what we've got. And that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that it can't get better, but that's where we're at. Yeah, and I know from personal experience, like organizing around... um, this can be difficult because of, you know, the, the privacy policies that are very necessary, um, but also very challenging. Um, so I know here in Minnesota, um, so I interviewed Sarah Axtell um, back in, I think, June or something, maybe May. Um, and she is the leader of the, like, heathen prison in reach here in Minnesota. And before the pandemic, she was actually going to every single prison once a month in the state which was like something ridiculous, like like 17 different facilities or something. So um, so she's also like a really huge wealth of knowledge on that. And, you know, she knows the Minnesota laws inside and out. And here, you know, there's a law that like, um, you know, you're not really allowed to see people once they are released. Um, and then that kind of creates this interesting problem where people have had this beautiful you know, relationship with a chaplain in a prison um, that they have come to trust. And then once you release, once you're released, you, you no longer have that connection. Um, And so how would you kind of 
like, how do you work with that with the people that you work with? Well, so we have something very similar in Colorado where like, um, I can't, somebody who's been recently released me personally, I can't go hang out with them, but we do. Um, if you have a church that does the, the DOC ministry, they can come and they can be part of those events. Um, but it is very difficult to kind of be like, Oh yeah, I know I worked with you while you were in prison. Sorry. You know, um, And I think it creates this barrier and luckily having this kind of umbrella of, of a church structure um, allows them to have some place to go. Um, Alexandria temple, who is um, they, they did the prison ministries. They're the ones who got me started in prison ministry. Um, They would do, and this is pre COVID, you know, COVID has kind of changed everything, but Um, Pre-COVID, they would have like monthly meetings and a local group would give us access to a garage or something like that. And we could do counseling services. So it wasn't all went on meeting with them. It was member of Alexandria Temple or or whatever church it was. And and in that function, um, you know, there's that protective barrier. And um, I, I... I kind of understand the reasoning behind that, right? Because if you're working with a vulnerable population, such as prisoners, they can be easily taken advantage of when they get on the outside. But I, I, I know that a lot of them, you know, the other face, like, like Christianity, they'll go right to those churches. No problem. Like hanging out with their, with their, their minister. And uh, be, because we're trying to follow policy. Um, you know, and protect the safety of the inmates, it makes it a little more difficult. And um, I, I feel like that the pagan chaplains and the, the pagan ministry, we always hold ourselves to a little bit of a higher standard that, than some of the other faith groups do, because we have to. There's still a lot of people who think, you know, oh, you're not really a witch, they're make-believe. And like, I've had family members tell me that. And um so there's still a lot of, of work to be done to get ourselves taken seriously. So we we have to be above board. Yeah, it's almost like it's this interesting thing where like I know that a lot of people are drawn to paganism because it's a little bit more free in terms of structure, you know, like different covens or different you know pagan groups or ministries um, look really different and you can be solitary and that's totally like a whole part of it. But then when you get into these institutional settings, it's almost like there's even more structure placed upon pagans than on other faiths. Well, yeah. And you have to keep in mind that in the prison system, if you're um, Norse, if you're um, Celtic, if you're Egyptian, if you're um, uh, Hellenistic, Hellenic? Hellenic, I think. Hellenic, I think. (laughs) then you're grouped together with the Northwest European pagan. So what ends up happening, at least for me, is I keep it kind of along the lines of Wicca, which is hard for me because I'm not Wiccan, right? You oh, know? yeah. Um, but I keep it along the lines of Wicca because I think that's where most of the inmates can find a common point, you know? And so I would love to be able to take in specific tradition, specific um groups but there's just there's there's not the resources and then you have to have people so if you have one druid and 12 norse 
you know, you're, you're going to gear it towards the larger part of the population. And so it's sad to say that they're not always getting their specific needs met. But if we can get them something, it's better than nothing. Yeah, that's a huge challenge. I think so um, here in Minnesota, um, we do have a heathen specific um, folks, like North specific people who go. Um, but we also have such a high like Scandinavian population that like <laughs> it makes sense <laughs> it makes sense yeah and i know that for us too because there's such the asatru folk assembly and um white supremacists often will use you know incarcerated people as like a um they'll they'll prey on them they'll prey yes. on them in prisons so we find it very important to have like a nordic presence that is not white supremacist absolutely I found that here too. There's actually um, quite a decent sized population of Norse women mm. in the prison here. And all they were getting was like these pamphlets that were, they didn't even try to hide the racist element. Like it was just here, this is what it is. And, you know, so um, we solicited some book donations that were like, here, here's some stuff. You know, that's not, that really breaks my heart because I have a real Norse flavor to my, to my witchcraft. Um, do you? Oh yes, I do. Bird lockers are one of my favorite things. Um, I absolutely love them. And, um, you know, even for me, like I, I'm training to be a vulva, but like, you know, I'm doing it all through books because there aren't any around me, you know, and, but I definitely have a Norse flair and it's important to me that, you know, it's represented accurately because women were powerful in the Norse culture. Yes. So powerful. And that's why I love it so much. Like one of my favorite um, time periods to study is the pre-Viking Scandinavian era. Fantastic. And I think that that's also just like so important, right? Is to, um, you know, recognize the ways in which people can prey on incarcerated people as a vulnerable population. You know, you're, you're contained, like the access to resources is so small. And so it's really important to make sure that there are people actively reaching in and being like, this is real. <laughs> like, yeah. This is the real stuff. <laughs> well, not only that, you have to consider that the codependency, the physical and mental abuse that most of the incarcerated population has gone through the substance abuse abandonment issues most people in prison I don't know if you know what an ACEs score is but it's it's adverse childhood experiences and the more the closer you are to 10 the more likely you are to be incarcerated and so like me I've got a score of eight you know and (laughs) you know and so and and that's not like that's not a point of pride for me. I'm like, no, that sucks. Nobody should have a score of eight, but some of these people have a nine or a 10 or even a four or a six. And it's just all this trauma that never got dealt with. And so like, you know, you put anybody in there telling them something that makes them feel good. Like no wonder they're going to flock to it. Like totally. And there, there's not really mental health support in prisons either. And that's such a huge piece. Like yeah. just, 
in general, there's not good mental health in this country. There's a lot of stigma around like, oh, if you go to mental health, you know, you must be crazy. But that's not true. Like, first of all, I don't like that term. And Mm -hmm. second of all, everybody needs somebody to talk to sometimes. Everybody. Yeah. I honestly think that like, just personally, like, I don't know where I would be without therapy. And I think even if you don't have a lot of abuse or, you know, other um, issues in your background, I think everybody can benefit from having someone who is not directly involved in your everyday life, like to talk to about your life. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And that goes extra for anyone who's dealt with that childhood trauma or, um, you know, other things that yes, lead to more difficult mental health. Yeah. And like a lot of uh, people who are incarcerated have PTSD and, you know, people think of like veterans with PTSD, but it happens to children too. And our brains don't know the difference between growing up in um, a household with like abuse and yelling and like lack of support and being on the battlefield. It's like the same to our brains. And, and, and that's wild. I think there's a lot of people who, if they had had proper mental health as a child, they probably never would have seen the inside of a jail cell. Right. Absolutely. Um, and then to put on top of that, um, being incarcerated is also a traumatic event. Absolutely. Like every day. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not like you see on orange is the new black, like, um, (laughs) but, (laughs) but like, um, and, and I was at one, we call it camp cupcake jokingly because it's, it's a medium security. And like, it wasn't like we got to walk around and there was grass and there was nature and stuff like that. But prior to that, I was at, um, the other one, in Colorado that everybody goes through and it's just concrete and like it's built on top of a, a waste dump. And like, they have these candy cane things that emit gas. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of pagans are sensitive to like spirits and energies and stuff like that. So when you put them in a space like that, it's really intense. It mm-hmm. like really intense. Because it's like you're feeling your stuff, but you're also feeling everyone else's stuff. And then the concrete is like not supportive. And yeah. And you're feeling the stuff of everybody who's ever been there. Because I guarantee you, they never smudge that place. Oh, God, no. So everybody who's been in there, who's like been emotionally traumatized, who's attempted suicide, who's, you know... Um, overdosed, experienced trauma, like all that residual energy just lingers Mm -hmm. and it's just there. And it's when I went back in as a volunteer, um, I really noticed it because I'd been out for a while and I went back in and it it feels heavy. I just want to say that I so appreciate your work. And I think that this book is so absolutely essential. You know, like I've done some volunteering. I haven't done the volunteering to go into prisons, but I'm kind of like training for that. It's really hard with COVID it is. Um, to get involved. Actually, that's a great question. How has COVID impacted your work and how can people still um, get involved in prison ministry, even in the pandemic times? Well, so I haven't been going in since COVID started. Um, They just now um, loosened the restrictions so that if you're vaccinated, um, which I am, I fully support getting vaccinated. Um, I might get heat for that, but I don't care. 
Um, oh, we are very <laughs> pro-vaccination on this podcast. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean from the podcast, but that's oh, good to like know. Oh, just in general. <laughs> yes, um, I'm very pro-vaccination too. So, um, but even then, you know, you have to get, um, you have to get COVID tests a couple times a week. And it's just, it makes it, it makes it very difficult. It, it makes it a challenge. So something um, I'm trying to encourage facilities to do is have a virtual option. Um, I know there's a woman, um, her name is, is Heather Alwyn, and she um, is putting together a video series that will go into the prisons. And oh, great. Uh, yeah, because then you don't need an actual volunteer. And so once again, it's not ideal, it's not perfect, but it's something. It's better than nothing. And so um, I know she's got like somebody who's giving the um, uh, the LBRP and they're performing that. And, um, and there, there's other people contributing. Um, so she'll probably be happy that I gave her a shout out um, yeah. on this podcast. Um, and so, yeah, if we put together you know, videos and, and books and, you know, just resources, just resources, 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 and also voting. Okay. Like never underestimate the, the power and the advantage of voting for policies that are pro inmate. Like here's something a lot of people don't know. So I got out of prison in 2012. Every time I go in for an interview, I still have to be prepared to explain my background. And it's almost 10 years later. Yeah. Like we have ban the box. We have the ban the box initiative, right? So like employers can't ask you on an application, but they can still ask you in interviews. They can still run background checks. So, um, and believe me, there is nothing more heart-wrenching than being told, oh my God, we, we'd love to have you come on board. You're hired as soon as you pass a background check. And those are like fatal words. It's like being stabbed in the gut because like, I'm not going to pass a background check like ever because felonies don't go away. Um, interestingly, they do like different countries overseas have different policies where like after so many years, it's not such a big deal. And we don't have that here. Like in 20 years, I could still go in and apply for a job and be like, oh, yeah, I'm a felon, you know. Um, so I've just gotten really good at, at kind of preparing my defense. Like, yes, I'm a felon. This is what it's for. But this is what I've done. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think, too, that that serves to um, continue like a cycle of incarceration. Like if you can't find work. Um, you know, like the, the higher your like level of, um, oppression or difficulty, like the more likely, like things are going to happen and you might do things that you get caught for and you end up in prison. So yeah, that's a huge problem. Yeah. The, the revolving door occurs for a lot of reasons. It's actually kind of a miracle. I didn't go back. It's because I had a lot of support, Mm -hmm. you know, and I had the right kind of support, um, I was lucky um, somebody I know let let me stay with him while I was on parole and didn't charge me a lot in rent. But you have to figure when people get out of prison, like they're expected to find a job, 
but that but the job that they get has to allow them to take their classes and take their UAs before a certain time and they have a curfew and you've got to pay for the UAs and you've got to pay for the classes and you've got to pay for rent you've got to pay for your restitution and if you're working a job that pays minimum wage like you have to work five minimum wage jobs to make that happen you know and there's just not enough hours in the day and like for me, when I was home parole, I was in a different county by like 100 feet. So I had to take a bus two hours each way to go to my parole office because of because of 100 feet. It was literally like street. And um, it, it definitely made things challenging, you know. And if you don't have support, if you get out and you're, you're stuck paying rent and all your family and all your friends have always been in that revolving door. And you're like, oh, you know what? You know what would make money? Because I've got all this pressure. I've got to pay all these things. I've got to make all this money. Just go back to doing the stuff I used to do. And even so, unless, I mean, they do have some programs where like you can get like flagger certification, right? And so flaggers make good money or you can get your cosmetology license and, you know, make, make more than minimum wage. Um, but those aren't for everybody. Like I wouldn't have been able to do either one of those jobs. And, um, you know, I did work a lot of, I worked retail for a really, 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 really long time, um, because they were flexible and they let me, you know, be like, Hey, I got to take off at noon. Cause I have to go take this class or I have to go take this UA, but there's not a whole lot of employers that are willing to be that flexible and still pay you a livable wage. Which I think kind of brings us back to the need for like additional support for, you know, pagans once they leave um, the prison system um, yeah. or once, once they are released. Um, so what are some of the biggest barriers for either maintaining a pagan practice um, or just getting involved in community um, once you have left the system? I, I think there's this real thirst, you know, people who who find paganism or who um, re-embrace their paganism when they're in prison, you know, might get out and, and look for teachers. And like, once again, here's an area where I was really fortunate because I found a teacher who was giving classes. And without that teacher, like, I would have just stayed at this, like, I hadn't even cast my first circle when I got out of prison, you know? Right. And, and so... I probably would have been in this lip service kind of kind of practice where like, yeah, I'm pagan, but like it wouldn't have been as deep to me. And I, I think that's where the challenge is, is so many people want it. But like, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there or, you know, you get busy. There's this thing. Um, it's, it's called the Bible mile or the book of shadows mile. And it's, so while you're incarcerated, you know, you've got all this time, you get real spiritual, you connect because like you really need that. Um, you really need the presence of some sort of divine figure while you're in there to make it through. And then you get out and like, oh, well, I got to work and, you know, life and this and kids to take care of and bills to pay. And it kind of goes on the wayside. And, you know, I, I think if we can find a way to encourage people to, to increase their practice, which by the way, this is a good segue. I do have pagans on parole coming out in November of 2022. So, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> so there's, um, 
so this is kind of the, the companion. This kind of answers the, you know, what do I do now question? How do I make this deeper? Oh my so, God, I love that. <laughs> yes, and it's, it's a lot of the things I learned on parole, you know, because um, there's a lot of opportunity to mess up on parole. It's actually easier to stay in prison and kill your number than, than it is to be on parole. And that's really sad, but, but it is. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, so, and, and the challenges was finding the community, at least for me, I thought everybody could see, hey, I'm a felon. I thought it was like written on my, on my forehead. And so this made me very self-conscious when I was first um, meeting with, with groups. And it was actually, I'd been working with um, my first high priestess uh, for about four or five months before I ever told her, mm-hmm. you know, because I wanted to build up that rapport. And I'm not encouraging dishonesty by, by any means, but there is this fear like, oh my God, I found this group. I want to be accepted. Um, and, you know, so you might be hesitant to reveal this thing that's, it, it's not a pleasant part of your past, but it's a part of your past nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And so I actually talk about like how to broach the subject in Pagan's on Parole. I love that. I love that so much. And I think too that um, this conversation about what happens after um, just kind of solidifies that um, no matter if you are working in prisons um, with the DOC as a volunteer chaplain, or if you are on the outside, I think that your book is very important for leaders in the pagan community, because, you know, you never know, right? If you never know, if you're just meeting someone like you, there's no way of knowing like felon isn't written on their forehead. (laughs) And that is not thankfully. Right. (laughs) And that is totally up to that person to decide like when it's time to tell you, like, I don't think that disclosure is, you know, like, I don't think that forced disclosure is a good idea or anything like that. Um, no, so I think that paganism for prisoners is really important for people to read both um, those who are currently prisoners and then also those who are leaders in the pagan community because, um, yeah, you just never know like what leads students to work with you. Exactly. And it might be, you know, something as simple as having that, that welcome and open-minded attitude. Like, um, I still, I don't have this happen as much in the pagan community, but still I've had it found out and had like people subconsciously do things like, you know, move their, their bag to the other side Mm. or, you know, and, and they don't mean to, right. It's because in society we have this idea about what inmates are. Like if you're in there, you're a quadruple murderer. And that's not the case because like 75% of inmates are in for drug related crimes. Right. And so it's, um, it can be something as simple as, you know, if you get a student and, and they choose to tell you having that, hey, it's okay, you're still welcome here attitude can really make the difference between them growing spiritually and going back to prison. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I know that... Um, pagan faiths are among the fastest growing faiths in the prison system. Why do you think that is? Oh, I have all kinds of theories for why that is. Um, so the, the, the first is 
the inclusion element, mm-hmm. right? So if you've grown up, like I grew up Southern Baptist and there were a lot of things that I believe that were just frowned upon. And, you know, I'm, I'm a Caucasian cisgender female, you know? So it, it, when you start looking at people who, you know, um, I identify as other genders or people who are LGBTQI plus or um, people who just never felt welcomed in in Christianity because you have this, you have this view. Like I I find this especially true with men. You have this view where either God is violent and like smoting or a complete pacifist. And there's so much else in between. And in paganism, we embrace this. We're like, yes, there's lots of things you can be. You can be anything you want. We don't care. And I, I think that's really reassuring, um, especially um, especially when you go through and, like, you have all this guilt, right? And then you get told from certain faiths that, like, oh, well, you know, you're just a sinner and blah, 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 blah. And that's, you know, none of us are, are, are perfect. And I, I think in paganism, there's more of a tendency to look at things like mental health and social factors and, um, and, and community and, and all these other things that play a factor in incarceration. My other theory on this is it's natural. Like, I, I think all people are born pagan and then, like, eventually along the way, it's filtered out of them. And you can see this by all the kids who make potions, right? Out of mud and sticks and like, (laughs) nobody taught them that. They know it. They know it. And so I I think everybody's born pagan and you have to be forced to learn something else. Yeah, it's very natural. Like it's just like a very natural way of, for me at least, it's always been a very natural way of relating to the world. Yeah, I, I never, like I didn't know what it meant to be a witch until I was like 16 or 17. But like, even in Sunday school, I was the troublemaker kid who had all the questions about like, if we're created in the image of God, why don't men have babies? You know, like all these, like, Oh, she's a troublemaker kind of things. And it's, um, it's not, it's just, some of us never lose that natural connection that we're born with. And some of us who do lose it, want it back. Mm -hmm. You want it back because, and, and here's the third thing that I think makes a real difference is you don't need somebody between you and the divine. You can just talk to the gods. You can just sit down and have a conversation with Odin or Freya or um, Kalima, although she's very intense, but you can, um, or any of the (laughs) gods, you can talk to them. And I think that's so empowering. Yes, absolutely. Um, so this is actually a great segue into my next question, which is you often say that when you went to prison, you felt more connected to the gods and goddesses than you had in years. Um, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so I got put to work in the fields. Every morning, woke up, 5 a.m., had breakfast, put us in a van, took us out, to these really big fields where we did things like pull weeds and pick pumpkins. And like some of these pumpkins were bigger than me. Like they were 
they were huge and you have to like toss them up into a van. Like I was buff when I got out of prison and that's like a really weirdly like pagan and timely <laughs> for October. <laughs> it, really, it, it really is. And it's, um, even though it was grueling and I came back dirty and I came back tired, my hands were in the earth and I got this real connection for like way, 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 way back in the day when like that was people's livelihoods is you went out and you worked in the fields and that was how you had food for the winter. And it, it felt really natural and it was the first time. So I, I went through a treatment program before I went to prison and it was like, it was a little traumatic. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to go into any more details than that, but it was, not designed it was it did not do what it was supposed to do um Mm. and so I ended up going to prison and so I'd been in this treatment center where I got yelled at every day and like told I was worthless and wasn't allowed to call my mom and then like I was in prison and all I had to do was like eat food and pick pumpkins and not start fights with people like that's all I had to do I was like oh my god this is not so bad and like we got to walk around the garden and there was grass and there was flowers and, you know, there was sun. And it was really me making the best of a bad situation, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. I was terrified that first night I went into prison and like I'm in that orange jumpsuit that's three sizes too big on me. Like it's scary and it's terrifying. But then like after you realize it's not like you see on TV you know, you're kind of faced with the choice. Okay. Do I want to leave here a better criminal or do I want to use this time and do something better? And like working out in the fields was meditative for me. It was just hours and hours of meditation. Cause all you have to do is just, you know, pull weeds and, you know, put them in the back, pull weed, like pull weeds, pull weeds, pull weeds, pull weeds. It's very repetitive. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was one of those active meditations and, um, it it cleared enough of my mental junk out that I was actually able to be like, okay, okay. Maybe this doesn't have to be my life. Yeah. That's beautiful. Are there any advantages to having a pagan practice in prison versus outside of prison. We've talked a lot about the disadvantages of right. pagan, that pa- pagan prisoners have. Um, what are some advantages? Well, I think if you can have a pagan practice and a spiritual connect- connection in prison, oh my God, you can easily have one on the outside. Mm-hmm. Like if you can learn to do ritual without tools, you can incorporate them no problem. If you spend time working on yourself, working on your shadow self, then you'll already have these tools when you get out of prison and it makes it easier to keep them in place. Like I still have uh, right here were my first book of shadows. Um, These are books you can buy on commissary and they're just filled with pages and pages and pages of whatever I could get my hands on because that's what I had. And I I keep these books um, as a reminder of where it started. Yeah. And I I think it's, it's really good for, for my perspective. You know, anybody can, anybody can be grateful when things are going good. But if you can give thanks to the gods and appreciate their wisdom, when you're sitting in a cell 
with eight other people and like, you know, there's chaos around you, then like you get out into the world, you know, having a flat tire isn't that big of a deal. Oh, well, I'll change it. You know, it's, I think perspective is the biggest advantage. Yeah, definitely. So we are coming up to our um, hour long interview. And so I just want to kind of wrap things up by saying, how can we help incarcerated pagans? Well, so I mentioned voting earlier, voting for policies um, that are pro-prisoner, including things like like mental health. Uh, If you are one of the people who can hire at your place of business, consider hiring felons. If you, oh, here's another thing is housing. Like there's a lot of places I can't rent from because I have felonies. So so if you're a landlord, especially of a smaller apartment complex, consider renting to felons. Um, Donate to organizations that do prison ministry. Um, And places like the ACLU can probably tell you what steps you can take um, to keep books from being thrown away. Because that's illegal. It's illegal and it's disrespectful. And um, like one thing, one thing that they've done in my state is they've eliminated private prisons. There's no more private prisons in the state. And um, so vote against private prisons because they're out to make money. And, you know, there's lots of little things like even if you hear somebody being saying something stupid, like, Oh, once a felon, always a felon, you know, pull them aside. Be like, actually a lot of felons are incarcerated because they've had childhood issues that were never dealt with that led them down a path of poor decision-making that landed them in prison. And if they had had proper mental health, proper support along the way, they never would have gone to prison in the first place and remind them that any person is one decision away from a DOC number. One bad decision is all it takes. And really the difference between who has a DOC number and who doesn't is who's been caught. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know anybody on the planet who has never broken any law, right? And so maybe that wouldn't land you in prison, but maybe it would have landed you in jail. You know, and so these are things to think about. And Don't be afraid to talk about it. You know, if somebody in your community, you know, hey, I'm I'm a pagan and I just got out of prison. Don't let that scare you, because I had a point when I just got out of prison and now I've written two books. I'm a college graduate. Um, I've I'm DBT certified. I've got a certificate from the natural health school. Like I've, I've got a resume of stuff I've accomplished. Because one thing that I've always felt is because of my felony, I have to accomplish twice as much to be seen as half as good in the community. And and it's not fair, but it's something that, that I've always strived for. And so if I cannot be a recidivism statistic, anybody cannot be a recidivism statistic. And keep it in mind that, well, there are bad people in prison. I'm not going to say that, like, everybody in there is good because um, that would be a lie. But keep in mind that so many more, like, you know, domestic violence, codependency, all these issues that our society just ignores, just pretends don't exist. And it's really, 
it, it creates the system where it's really hard to get out from underneath a felony. It's really hard. And so anytime you see any opportunity to make even a slight change, even to just one person who's been incarcerated, take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know that my um, kind of path to understanding this was um, having a good friend um, who had uh, done time and, you know, realizing, oh, like, you know, it kind of breaks the ice in a weird way of like, before, I think before you meet someone who's open about having been incarcerated, there's like this monolith in people's brains about like, this is what prisoners are. They're scary. <laughs> yeah. They're terrible people. But, um, you know, once you meet someone that goes away because it's not, you know, unless, it, unless the person you meet reinforces that, but like, you know, there are also a lot of people who have done a ton of work, um, in prison and outside of prison. So, yeah. Yeah. And, um, like there's even, I, I knew a couple women who were like in prison because they were defending their child from, you know, getting, um, getting touched inappropriately. And, you know, it's, what would you do? Right. What, what choice would you make? You know, and we, we have to consider these things that it's, it's not always like nobody, nobody is like, you know what? I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to try and get some felonies so I can go to prison. That seems like really good. Like people don't do that. It's about survival. It's, Hey, I've got to go break into these cars or sell these drugs because I need money you, sometimes for more drugs. Um, cause that's the nature of addiction. Uh, that's a whole another topic, but, um, you know, we create these systems that people don't see a way out of, you know, and the judicial system is not always fair and it's not always just, especially to people of color. It's really unjust. And especially in certain states, it's really unjust. And that's one of the biggest problems is that justice, instead of meaning justice, means just us, just us in the state of power. You know, um, and it, it, it's heartbreaking because um, I, I think of like Portugal where they decriminalized, like made every drug legal and put all that money they spent on incarceration into rehabilitation. And they have seen their um, population of addicted individuals drop by like 50 percent. Damn. Like imagine if we did that here. Imagine. Just imagine if instead of, you know, imprisoning people and using them for free labor, uh, we actually helped people and looked right? after people. Like, what? what? Wild. That's, <laughs> that's a crazy idea right there. Right. I, I, just, to be, just to be fair, I did make a dollar a day picking those pumpkins. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a dollar a day. Like. Yeah, no, it's basically um, indentured servitude is basically what it is. Um, and that was a lot. Some people make like 30 cents um, a day or something like that. And you also have to buy your own tampons in prison. So just something to keep in mind. I, I just, I'm 
filled with rage <laughs> about that. Like, I don't, ugh. <sighs> yeah, you can get the big diapers that are like, you know, the size of a human head. You can get those. But yeah, for like most feminine hygiene products, um, you have to pay and they're full. So you're making 30 cents a day and a box of tampons costs a little more than it does out here. And so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and it's you, not just about tampons. It's about everything that you need. Yeah. While you're and, there. And it, it should enrage people. It should. Mm -hmm. Because it's really, um, it's really, it, it's messed up and it's punishing people for having mental health and substance abuse issues is overall what the system is doing. Yeah. Um, so last question, if, um, if there was one takeaway from your book or this conversation that you hope the listeners grab onto, what is it? The power of change. I really want people to know that people do change, but they need support in order to change. You know, but it, it's not just, you know, you wake up one day and nobody supports you and you're just like, oh, I'm going to change my life around. I mean, that does happen, but it's really rare. But if we come together as a community and provide tools and resources and education and a kind ear and compassion for people who've probably never had compassion in their whole life, we can help inspire people to change. And so my biggest takeaway um, for this would be, you know, they say don't judge a book by, by its cover. Well, don't judge a person because they have a DOC number. Mm -hmm. mm. Thank you so much for Absolutely. thank you being on the podcast. Thank you so much for being so open. And um, I honestly, I truly think that this book and your next book are absolute essentials for any pagan leader. Um, so I hope that the word the word spreads and um, <laughs> thank you that your books are wildly popular. Thank you. I hope so too. And um, just because I, I want to put this, this plug in there. So Paganism for Prisoners is available for pre-order now on Llewellyn, um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and it comes out December 8th. And if you're in the UK or Canada, it comes out January 8th. Okay. Awesome. Yes. So get your pre-orders in because pre-ordering matters. It pre -ordering does. is very important. Um, and thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I would love to do this again. Yes, absolutely. All right. Thank you. All right. And that is it for today's episode of the Heathen's Journey podcast. A huge thank you and shout out to all of my students and patrons for making this work available. If you want to become a patron and support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash northernlightswitch. I post full moon and new moon ritual guides, rune readings for each of the turning of the zodiac season, and so much more. If you would like to follow me in between 
episodes, you can find me on Instagram at northern.lights.witch or on Twitter at northlightwitch. Until next time, stay weird.